Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle, and I'm Lorenzo Marasso. My guest today is pianist Freddie Kempfer, who is one of today's most successful pianists performing to sell out audiences all over the world. Freddie is exceptionally gifted with an unusually broad repertoire, and he has built a unique reputation as an explosive performer who is not afraid to take risks, as well as a serious, sensitive, and profoundly musical artist. Freddie has collaborated with conductors such as Charles Dutois, Wolfgang Savalisch, Kurt Sanderling, Ricardo Chailly, as well as many others, and has worked with some of the world's most prestigious orchestras, including the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the London Philharmonia, the City of Birmingham Orchestra, La Scala Philharmonic, the San Francisco Symphony, the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Tonale Orchestra, as well as the Dresden Philharmonic. Freddie was born in London, UK, in 1977, and he made his concerto debut with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra at the age of eight, and further came to national prominence in 1992 when he won the BBC Young Musician of the Year competition. In 1998, his award of third rather than first prize in the Tchaikovsky International Piano Competition in Moscow provoked protests from the audience and an outcry in the Russian press, which proclaimed him the hero of the competition. Thank you. 
This is Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle and I'm your host Lorenzo Morasso. My guest today is pianist Freddy Kempf and you have just listened to the Toccata in C Major Opus 7 by Robert Schumann performed by pianist Freddy Kempf. So tell us a little bit about your growing up in, uh, in England. You're not exactly British because if I recall well your mom is Japanese and your dad is German. Yeah that's right yeah. You grew up in England and then you moved to, you're based in Germany right now. So if you want to give us, give the listener a little bit of an idea of your whereabouts. My father's German, mother's Japanese, but I was born in England. Um, I think they came to England to, to forget their own past. You know, my mother was Japanese. She was supposed to marry someone there um, and she didn't want to. So she went to England to escape that. And my father... Even though he's German, he was actually a refugee in Germany from Czechoslovakia. Um, and I suppose he wanted to, to leave that whole thing behind him. So he came to England as well. They, they met there. I was born just south of London. I grew up most of my life in England. Um, that's where we met, you know, in college. Yeah. And I guess shortly after, I, um, I met a, um, my wife, who's German. And at the time... It, just felt like the, the best idea to, you know, to try to live outside England. You know, I was always in England before that. So I moved to Germany. And ever since then, um, I somehow, I don't know why, but I feel more at home now in Germany than I did before in England. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a strange feeling. But all my time in England, I sort of felt a little bit like a foreigner. You know, I didn't have any English parents, no real English roots. And now somehow in Germany, just, you know, in terms of, you know, just small things like just, just crossing the road um, or just, you know, going to a restaurant. It just, for me, somehow it feels more natural than it did in England before. So um, I'm now, I'm still an English citizen, but I'm now also a German citizen. So I guess, um, I guess both, both options are still open. Yeah, I guess that comes in handy with the new Brexit. And I guess a, a difficult point for everyone. I mean, you know, we shouldn't talk about politics, but I know that a lot of younger people, they were more against Brexit. And, you know, I still voted with my right to vote for Brexit. And yeah, I mean, it's, it happened how it happened. But of course, you know, that the fact that I'm still a European citizen and an English citizen means, you know, that I still have both options. So yeah, as you said, both passports, they, they help my situation at the moment. So, and then in 1998, so that would, would have been at the end of your academy uh, mm -hmm. period, you participated in the Tchaikovsky and that kind of opened up more possibilities as far as your career in, in, to a more mm -hmm. international level. That's true, yeah. I mean, I, at the time I was doing many kind of competitions, all, all sorts of international competitions, like in, in Zurich in America as well. And... Um, I mean, Tchaikovsky was, that was the main big competition in 1998. And um, I took part in that. And I remember that, um, you know, for me, it was just a normal competition. And I remember that they, they made the announcement of the prizes internally, so not publicly. And when they said I got third prize, you know, I just thought, well, yeah, that's great. You know, it was my best result before that time. So I was very happy and I remember thinking that I would just have to carry on doing the next competition, which was going to be in Spain and then maybe, you know, doing Chopin competition after that. Um, 
But then when um, they announced the result publicly and to the press, then suddenly there was, I guess, I mean, I remember it was, it was a big surprise that both the public and the press, they seemed very, you know, supportive of, of me. And, um, you know, it led to kind of just to some, some very important concert invitations, you know, all over the world. Um, such that I, you know, at that point I stopped and I thought it was, was best to stop doing competitions. And that's, I guess, when my career really started and you know, I, I got a recording contract um, and started, you know, to play everywhere. So I guess that, that that's when I started to, to sort of become a pianist. Is it uh, politically incorrect to say that the, the other two prizes were not as good? And the audience felt that you 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 should have been the the first prize. I don't know. You know, I mean, the thing is, so in night in what was it 2019, um, I was invited to to go on the jury of the Tchaikovsky competition, and I've not had anything to do with any kind of piano competition um, between the time I participated in 1998 and then the time I sat in the jury. 2019 you know i've been invited to, to be on the jury of various competitions but it just didn't happen before so for me it was it was actually a very a very kind of vivid and very emotional experience to be on the jury because i i was on the jury of the competition that i last participated in and so i saw um you know i experienced things which i had last experienced maybe 20 years ago And those memories were so clear for me, you know, like even watching the first round people play the pieces that I had prepared in the competition myself um, and, you know, the same repertoire. And I could really remember how I felt participating myself. Um, and, and I guess, you know, then being part of the jury and watching the process from the jury's side, you, I kind of realized suddenly... I mean, I, I realized so many things, you know, first of all, um, I realized how my idea as a participant, you know, thinking I have to play this piece, I've got to play the most difficult piece. Um, I have to sound impressive. I've got to prove I can play this piece. I can play it fast enough, whatever. And then sitting on the jury, realizing that, well, if, if a contestant chooses a difficult piece, it's already enough that they choose it. They don't have to prove anything. Um, And I realized then that um, the contestant doesn't have to maybe show as much as they think they have to. And um, for me, it was very interesting to realize as a jury person that the most important thing was just we wanted to hear as a jury someone that sounded good. You know, I mean, they sounded pleasant. They made the piano sound nice. They didn't sound like they were scared. They didn't sound like they were nervous. Um, so it was very interesting to, to kind of hear it, hear that from the jury's point of view. Um, and then also then to see the, the audience reaction, um, and also to see who actually won, you know? And so you, you asked me how it was, you know, when I got the third prize, that's how it was, you know, in 1998, that was the prize I got. I don't think that anything happened, you know, I mean, like, As a jury member, you're, everyone is trying to put forward the person they think is the best. And of course, everyone thinks something different. You know, so one person 
thinks that um, you know someone is missing some qualities and they need to to learn what those qualities are and the other person thinks well um, they don't like those qualities they like something else you know everyone likes something different and um, it was only sitting in the jury that you actually realize how different tastes are and again how different people become when when they just express their opinion so i think you know when i took part i think you know the the person that won the first prize he's he's got a very big career now he's very famous in russia he's done some great things for culture in russia um you know he's really helping all the new young young musicians there and and he's a, you know he's a great pianist yeah he's not he's nothing like me but i mean i think it's great he won the first prize i think it's great that I won the third prize and that we both made careers in Russia. We're both, you know, very famous there. And it was lovely to see him at the competition. He was president of the jury and it was, you know, great to see him again after such a long time. Um, you know, I think, I think history has, has kind of, it tends to happen how it happens. And I think that we as humans, we, we can't do so much to change it. You know, we just have to be as we are and just accept how we are. And, and that's, that's how life is, you know. And I think as long as we're happy, that's, that's the most important thing. So you said something about um, you, want, you wanted to play, you, you choose difficult pieces you wanted. Yeah, I remember at the, at the, at the academy, you, you were the guy who was always playing the most difficult pieces. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does it... And, and, and you picked some difficult pieces for this hour, actually, which, which are the Schumann Toccata, mm. which is uh, scary, to say the least. Then uh, the La Semaine Grasse uh, by Stravinsky, and then uh, Gershwin, I Got Rhythm. What's, what's interesting for you in, the, in this more virtuosistic repertoire i know you say that yeah i mean I, when i make a program i always after i play the concert i always say to myself oh i should have picked something easier than that you know but <laughs> i think this um this ambitious side of me was because i had a teacher at the time and um he was a private teacher who was called ronald smith he recorded for emi and he was quite a famous british pianist but only in britain And I remember that whatever I played, he always said to me, oh, you know, when you get older, when you, when you become stronger, then your technique will become better or your sound will become better. So what the, the result was when I was young, I always wanted to prove something to him, to show, to show him that, you know, even as a child, I could still do it. And I remember that. So for a long time, this was the most important thing for me was to prove, you know, prove to him that I could play the most difficult music. I could play it as fast, as loud as whatever. Um, so it took a long time to 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 to, to change that, you know. Um, I mean, nowadays, you know, I I picked those pieces to to be aired because I'm I'm proud that I managed at some point in my life to achieve that. You know, I, I don't think maybe now I could play that anymore. You know, Schumann Toccata, the, the speed I played it at, or that I recorded it at, or the you know the the Stravinsky either. You know, it's very very difficult piece of music, but. Um, you know, I was very proud that my teacher, you know, he had, a, he had a very technical way of teaching. He, if there was a problem, he would always explain to me how to overcome the problem. And he's taught me to believe, you know, I really honestly believe this, that if there's a pianist 
that can't play something technically. He's showed me the solution to that. You know, so if I teach someone, I teach them saying, you know, this is what my teacher taught me. If you do this exercise, if you do this movement, you learn this, you correct this, then you can also do it. You know, that's how my teacher taught me. And so for me, you know, that's that's what I was, that's what I experienced. Um, so, you know, nowadays, yes, it's not it's not so important, but you know, I I still pick programs that are <laughs> probably more technical, maybe because I can still play them. You know, and it's it's also it's fun. You know, it's fun to to have the challenge and make yourself practice for it and see if you can do it.
This is Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle, and I'm your host, Lorenzo Morasso. 
My guest today is pianist Freddie Kempf, and you have just listened to I Got Rhythm Variations by George Gershwin, performed by pianist Freddie Kempf with the Bergen Philharmonic, conducted by Andrew Litton. What would you say was the most challenging piece that you played? I think the toughest piece I had to play so far has been the second piano concerto by Bartok, because, um, you know, I mean, as, as a pianist, I think, or as any professional musician, you know, uh, when you start working and you have, you know, you have concerts and or recordings and deadlines, the hardest thing is to manage the deadlines. You know, it's difficult to, to know when do I need to start so that I'm ready to perform the concert or, you know, make the recording. And I remember with the Bartok Concerto, I, you know, I looked at it long before I had to play it and sort of thinking, yeah, this is going to be very, very tough. And, you know, as a pianist, you're expected to learn everything from memory as well. Um, and I think the Bartok Concerto, the second one, was the, the only piece I've played where maybe, you know, one month or two months before the concert, I started to think, I'm not going to make it, you know, it's just, it's not possible. That's, that's the first piece I played where I really kind of thought it's, you know, I just can't do it. Um, and I remember like sort of speaking through the agent to the orchestra and it was, you know, the famous orchestra in Germany. And that somehow the agents, they said to me, the orchestra said they've, the last three times they tried to perform the piece, it was canceled each time. And, you know, Normally, when, when a piece gets cancelled, yeah, it's maybe because someone becomes sick, you know, they have the flu, but or they have some kind of accident. But if it's three times, you know, you kind of realize, well, maybe it's because the piece is so difficult. And, um, and so I think with this, you know, this piece, I remember just about, you know, I was practicing much more than I usually do before the concert and thinking, I'll oh, just about manage. And um, that, I mean, that was really tough somehow I'm, I'm now have i'm very i have a lot of respect if i see any sort of famous especially a famous person but anybody at all who manages to to put that piece down in the program i remember seeing that baron Boyne played it with dudamel in berlin one time and i was very impressed that baron Boyne, you know was able to do that you know as a pianist i mean apart from that i think The only other piece I think is, is on that kind of level is probably Hammerclavier Sonata. Um, I remember playing that. I programmed it for um, one or two seasons. And usually with a difficult piece, you know, even with the Bartok, you play it one time. And, you know, after maybe five or six times, it starts to become easier. But the Hammerclavier, it was never any easier. It was always difficult. It was really like a, a real challenge every single time I played it. And I kind of thought, You know, it's, one doesn't understand why it's so difficult. Um, you know, people say, yeah, it's only Beethoven. You know, when, when you say only Beethoven, it means it's, you know, it's, it's a time where the composers were not trying to write something, you know, more difficult than ever before. They were still exploring the instrument, writing a classical style, but somehow I found with, with Hammerclavier, it's just such a difficulty, so complex. And so difficult that it just it just never it never got any better. But I mean, it's still you know. Um, aside from this, I don't know. Maybe you know, <laughs> when I get older or someone else writes something, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's more difficult music around. But but those for me were the the two big challenges I had in my life so far. And um, what was the easiest thing you played? <laughs> 
Interesting. No, I think, you know, I think that, um, and I find this with people I've taught, I think we find something easy if it's something we really want to do, you know. And I remember that um, when I was young, I remember hearing Rachmaninoff's second concerto, and yet maybe it wasn't easy to play, but it was something I wanted to do all my life, all my childhood. So it was just, it was just a pleasure to be able to play that the first time. I'm trying to think when the, when that was. I think I was about 13 or 14, and um, it was just I was so happy that I had the concert. You know, it wasn't a great orchestra. It was probably an orchestra connected with my school or the area where I went to school. Um, but I was just so excited I could play this piece. So that felt easy. Maybe it wasn't easy, but it it felt that it was easy. What about um, any 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 future projects? Is there anything in particular in mind that you would like to do? You know, one of the big projects I have, I guess, is, um, I guess it started about 10 years ago almost now, where um, I found there was maybe one or two concerts, I mean, less than two concerts worth of music, which was written, it's classical music, but written for for big bands. So it's not for orchestra, but for, for jazz bands. Uh-huh. And this is stuff like, I mean, even like the Copeland fanfare for the common man, that's that's not, there's no strings in that. You know, it's written for um, horns, trumpets, trombones, and percussion. Yeah. So that's, in technical terms, you could call that a band scoring. Um, and there's other pieces by, you know, Shostakovich or by Stravinsky, and also obviously by more American composers like Bernstein, Gershwin, which are written for bands. So for a long time, I've been, I found this program, which is, you know, classical concert, classical music. It's not jazz. Yeah. yeah. It's classical music, but there's no orchestra. It's written for band. And um, a long time I was trying to find a way to, to do this concert. And, you know, it's not easy because, you know, originally maybe we had some cities or concert halls they were interested you know they said wow this sounds a great idea you know something different but then when the marketing people said oh there's no orchestra then they said well then it can't be in our program only because they had no orchestra yeah but not because there was anything wrong with the music and we said you know it's classical music stravinsky is just called a band, but it's not, you know, it doesn't mean there's no orchestra. And it's now we kind of a band on stage. <laughs> and finally now, you know, after 10 years, it seems that we, you know, there's finally a way to do this. And so we're just finalizing it now for, for next summer um, to start this project. And um, so I'm, I, you know, I'm very excited about it. I mean, the, the program is still not quite finalized, but I mean, I, I really want to, I want to start with the Copeland Fanfare for the Common Man because I think it's such a, such a great opening, and we will include pieces like, um, like Bernstein Prelude Fugue and Riffs, and um, you know the Gershwin, the original Rhapsody in Blue was written for jazz orchestra or, or jazz band, not not for symphony orchestra, um, and then there's also a Shostakovich. The first jazz suite is written for a very small jazz band, you know, only sort of maybe um, between 10 to 12 people. And there's also um, a famous, well, becoming even more famous now, sort of Ukrainian-Russian 
jazz composer called Capustin. Yep. And he also wrote a lot of repertoire for this this kind of things. So that this is kind of the next big project. We're just about finalizing it now, and hopefully from you know next year we'll start touring it. And uh, which leads to the next question. It's about conducting that we haven't spoken at all about it. You do conduct, and so you you start conducting at some point. I think as a pianist, or if you play an instrument, I think most people ask themselves, "What is the conductor doing?" You know, I mean, I you know. Every time I play concerto, I, you know, I've spoken to other people like violinists, and they, you know, we we all ask ourselves, what what does the conductor do? And of course, you only understand if you conduct yourself. Then finally, you understand what does the conductor do. Yeah. Um, and you know, for me, I guess as a pianist, it's more, it's a more obvious question because, um, you know, we know that many famous, you know, conductor can. Uh, pianist composers or, you know, like Beethoven, Mozart, they would conduct from piano themselves. So the role is more kind of, I would say, integrated than in other instruments. Um, and I guess there was some opportunities in, you know, in my career where it was possible that I would conduct myself. And um, so obviously eventually, you know, with, with the connections I had or the ability I had, then Eventually, there, there was the moment I, I would conduct something myself from the piano. Um, you know, and I know, I know, I know you've, you've also had the same kind of situation where you've conducted as well. Yeah. And I guess what, one of the, the thoughts that always stuck in my mind was, you know, I worked a lot with the American conductor, Andrew Litton. And I guess something that he said to me was, was quite powerful because he said that he always, ever since he could remember, since he was a little child, he wanted to conduct, you know, since he was three or four years old, that was his dream was to conduct an orchestra. And if I'm honest with myself, you know, when I think back to my childhood, that wasn't one of my dreams. You know, I wanted to play, I wanted to play the piano. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had the privilege or the honor to conduct, you know, some very great orchestras and yes, it's great to conduct orchestras, but for me, somehow, personally, I still prefer playing the piano, you know. I just enjoy the fact, you know, as a conductor, you, you can't make a sound. Yeah. You can ask people to play for you, but you can't actually make any noise yourself. But as a pianist, you just play a chord. It's there, you know, so it's a very different role. And I think, you know, a conductor is more of a, yes, it's kind of like being a manager. You have to manage the time of people you have the resources, you have the orchestra, and you have to get them to make a great concert. You're in charge of how they do that. But in terms of actual, just instant um, results, you're not part of that process. So for me, it was interesting to have the chance to do that. You know, it was amazing to, um, you know, to learn, to study this with a, a teacher and to actually have the chance to conduct some very great orchestras um, Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to do it in the future. But, um, for instance, in this jazz project, I just, I feel as a musician that, you know, many of the pieces that we're playing, like the, the Jazz Suite by Chostakovich, it doesn't work with a conductor. It, it, it's not possible to function with someone beating their arms and people are meant to play with that. We have to play as a group. Um, so if I'm conducting it, or if, if I'm rehearsing it, if, if I'm deciding how we play the piece, how much time we spend, 
how do we prepare the piece together, that's still conducting. I'm not waving my hands in the concert, but the conductor's role is, I'd say it's more of a, a producing role for the concert. So in that sense, um, I'm very grateful to have learned or to be able to learn the skill of, of conducting, but I think it's a much more general term than, than people believe, you know, and, and again, if, you know, if, if I have to perform um, music by Beethoven or Mozart, where we don't necessarily need a separate conductor, and I have a conductor that is really not very good at their job, then yes, of course, I would rather do it myself. But if I have the choice between playing, you know, conducting myself or having a really great conductor there, then I would just rather play. You know, that's, that's where, you know, I've learned after time, that's where my passion is. I prefer to play myself sometimes. A lot of people, they don't understand what is conducting. You know, yeah. like if, if you think, what is it to be a pop singer? What is it to be a pianist? What is it to be a, you know, a baseball player? It's obvious. You do what what the description is. But as a conductor, it's hard to understand what they do. Yeah. And so as a as a young person, it's 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 very difficult to know as a young person saying, well, I would like to become a conductor because they don't know what a conductor is. And you only understand once you do it. So I guess that's why it's this kind of it's this kind of job where no one really knows what it is and there's not so many people doing it. Um, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing. I think, I think what is interesting now is that how, um, I think before, you know, maybe 50 years ago, a conductor would, would be someone that was an experienced musician. And after being experienced as either, you know, an orchestral player or a soloist, they would, move into conducting, you know, because they were able to um, share their experience that they had. And now, you know, you have people that are being taught to conduct from, you know, being a teenager. So they are able to do it because they've been taught to do it. But um, it's just becoming a very different art now, yeah. I think. And, you know, you know, one argument is always saying, well, you know, how can you conduct a great Mahler or Bruckner symphony you know, age 25 when you've not even played one. But I mean, that's, you know, the, the world is changing. So obviously, um, everything is changing and, you know, the art, the art has to develop. So, you know, this is just part of, of our developing world, I think. I think the problem with, you know, conducting is that there are many different aspects of the job. You know, um, there's the technical aspect of, you know, being able to show things correctly there's the hu human aspect of being able to communicate with people very well, you know, and there's the businessman aspect of actually being able to have an idea of how to financially support the orchestra. You know, there, there's just so many aspects of being a conductor. And um, I remember, you know, from my experience over the last, you know, few years, 10 years where I have been conducting, you know, I look back on the past and realize thinking, my, you know, I, this time I conducted this orchestra, I really didn't do very well. And it's not because I couldn't do the job, but it was just, I made the wrong choices, you know, and, you know, my conducting teacher was kind of, he liked the idea saying, well, trying to teach a conductor is kind of trying to teach somebody to swim, you know, 
sitting in a room in front of a of a blackboard and you try to teach them everything on paper but then you know the first time you rehearse with a professional orchestra it's like throwing them in the ocean in a storm seeing that they can actually swim you know yeah um because you're taught all the skills but you don't know which skills you're actually going to need and you know i've I, i know that i know now you know when you know you you cannot you know even most famous piece of music like Beethoven's symphony da, 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 da. you know how are you going to show that yeah and in your brain you have to think you have to there's so many questions to answer you know how yeah you know how independent the orchestra is can they play together by themselves how many times have they played the piece what are they used to seeing you know you and you have to decide how much how clear to be as a conductor you know you have to show them you have to think yourself you know do you have to show them so clearly so that they all play together or if you show them nothing can they play together by themselves and if you make the wrong choice then half the people in front of you're going to think this person has no idea what they're doing yeah you know and i think that's that's the difficult thing so even now you know with conducting your um you know it doesn't matter whether you're good at your instrument or not you know you you can be shown your taught this is how you can possibly do this piece you're taught a thousand ways how to get through a piece of music but your skill is deciding which of those ways you're going to use with that orchestra on that day yeah and of course you need luck you know but at the same time i think you you still need a skill you need a talent yeah. to be able to judge that yeah and um you know i I've, i've worked with so many conductors now where you realize that there these little problems which um you only learn to cope with through experience you know like even you know if you're a conductor and you're trying to make the concert better than it's possible that's also too much you know you you have to as a conductor you have to be able to judge saying well with this orchestra on this day in this situation it's only possible to achieve this amount of quality and then you decide well we make the we make the goal a little bit higher than that but that you stop there you don't try to make it any more than that so that you don't cause too much stress you know it's all these little, little kind of things i think that's um you know that's so interesting of of being a conductor you know how to to judge those things you know that that you're in a position where you have to try to make these decisions it's been a great pleasure for me to connect with you again and uh learn about all this you know last 20 years that we haven't seen each other mm-hmm. um and i'm uh, very happy that your career is is booming Wish you the best of luck for now, Freddy, and uh, I hope to reconnect soon with you. Okay, thanks, Lorenzo. I hope you have enjoyed meeting our guest, the pianist Freddy Kempf, and enjoy getting to know him and listening to some of his recordings. For now, I leave you with one more piece titled La Semaine Grasse, which is the third movement from the ballet Petrushka by Igor Stravinsky, performed here on KBFG Seattle by pianist Freddy Kempf. And I look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Dress Rehearsal here on KBFG Seattle.